Christ-like in that particular avenue. I'm going to invite you to turn this morning in the Scriptures to, to the book of 2 Kings. We're in the middle of a series uh, on troublesome prophets, Elijah and Elisha. Um, and these two guys are involved in uh, one of the most tumultuous periods of the history of ancient Israel. Now, their ministry is, is, it takes place um, during the 9th century B.C., uh, during the reign of a group of people called the Omrids. Um, they're named after a guy named Omri, who was the founder of the dynasty. Um, and Elijah and Elisha are unique and interesting characters, and some of the things that happen in their lives um, defy uh, description. Uh, you just read it and you go, if that happened, that's wild. And this is one of those things. We're going to open in 2 Kings. Um, if you're visiting with us, there are Bibles in the racks in front of you. The page number is uh, in the bulletin. You can turn right there and follow along with us. And I remind everybody um, that First and Second Kings are not two books. They're divided up because of the way that you cut up scrolls. Um, so you can only, a scroll can only be so big and be carried by a normal human being. So, um, so the book was divided into two scrolls, and that's why we have First and Second Kings. But the end of First Kings leads right into Second Kings, and the first line of Second Kings is this: After the death of Ahab, Moab rebelled against Israel. What follows for most of chapter one and chapter two, the beginning of chapter two, will be a parenthesis. Um, we will pick up this line. You'll actually encounter this line again in chapter two. Uh, I'm sorry, chapter three. Um, you'll run into this line in chapter 3 and verse 5. It says, But when Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. The exact same line. Um, so everything that happens between 1-1 and 3-5 is a bit of a parenthesis in the story. Now there's an all, a lot that happens there, and it's going to take us a couple weeks to get there. Um, but those two lines connect us. This is important for understanding what's happening. Um, I'll explain it all in a little while, but you you need to know that first line introduced something that's happening kind of in a bubble inside of the narrative. Um, Ahab's son Ahaziah is king, and that's where we pick up in verse 2. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria and lay sick. Um, So he sent messengers telling them, Go inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, You shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah went. The messengers returned to the king, and he said to them, Why have you returned? And they said to him, There came a man to meet us and said to us, Go back to the king who sent you and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. There's going to be a third time this gets recited. Elijah does things in threes. Verse 7, He said to them, What kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? They answered him, He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. Then the king sent to him a captain of fifty men with his fifty. He went up to Elijah who was sitting on top of a hill and he said to him, O man of God, the king says, Come down. But Elijah answered the king of fifty, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty. Then fire came down from heaven, consumed him and his fifty. 
Again, the king sent to him another king, a captain of 50 men with his 50. And he answered him and said to him, O man of God, this is the king's order. Come down quickly. But Elijah answered them, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Now remember, Elijah does things in threes. Again, the king sent the captain of a third 50 with this 50. And the third captain of the 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and said, I know you do things in threes. <laughs> oh, man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Behold, fire came down from heaven and consumed one and then two. I'm not stupid. Former captains of 50 men with his 50s, but now let my life be precious in your sight. And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him, do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king and said to him, Elijah does things in threes, Thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, is, there, is it because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So he died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Jehoram became king in his place in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, because Ahaziah had no son. That's his brother. Um, and it's always confusing when there's two guys with the same name. But um, now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? As we prepare to get into the scriptures, I want to invite the congregation to pray. Again, one or two to pray for our time in the scriptures, um, to, to enjoin, uh, to unite our spirits and hearts um, as we come to the Lord to, uh, to hear what he has for us. So one or two people to pray over our time together in scriptures, and then we'll get right into it. All right, I want everybody to try a, a linguistic experiment with me as we get into the scriptures. All right, so the first thing I want you to do is all of you pronounce the letter D. That's D. D, D. No, pronounce the sound, not the letter. D, 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 right? When we, say, we speak in English, we say, we say D. All right, now, not surprisingly, the letter D is called a dental um, because it bounces off of your teeth, right? The irony that the word Teeth does not involve the dental letter. Anyway, um, so so the when we say a D, 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 d it comes off of our teeth. It's kind of up high in our mouth. D, all right. If we try to say uh, the D, um, and instead we do what's called a spirant, which means that we breathe out without letting our tongue hit our teeth, we will instead of get d, d, we'll get z, z. Right? You guys feel that? Z, z. What letter is that? Z. Um, D and Z in languages like, like Hebrew 
um, Semitic languages, particularly Northwestern Semitic languages, if you really want to nerd about it, um, a lot of times when something comes from one of the languages into another, um, it will transfer the dental uh, to a dental spirant. So from a dental th th th, all right, where we use our, our tongue, to a, uh, to a z z z. Um, and this is what happens with the name of the god that Ahaziah is going to appeal with. I'm, I'm going to explain why that's important, because it actually makes the story make a little bit of more sense. Um, so let's, let's just start with this. Ahab dies, Moab rebels against Israel, all this happens. Ahaziah falls through the lattice of his upper chamber, one of the most ignominious moments in the life of a king. Yay, I'm king! Boom! Now, we don't know exactly the time frame or anything like this, but one of the interesting things about Ahaziah, the scriptures say that he reigns for two years, but if you put his two years into the, try to line up the kings, and you put his two years in, it knocks everybody else off. So what seems to happen with Ahaziah is, is um, what's called a regnal year anomaly. I know you're all very excited about that. Um, a lot of times, the, it, when you read through the books of Kings, and if you read through Kings, you will notice that it, it always says so-and-so died, and then such-and-such such a guy became king during such-and-such such a year of this other king. All right? um, if you start going through them, you will discover that clearly they count years different than we do. Um, it's interesting, the way that they, change, they count years changes and varies uh, when they count reigns. For example, there's a king named Joash. Um, the king Joash... When he becomes king, he's only eight years old, but he becomes king because his grandmother had usurped the throne. So when they count his reign, they count all the way back to the day he was born. And they just exclude her altogether, an omission. Uh, Ahaziah is interesting because what seems to have happened, he gets two years. He's credited with being two years. But in some of these ancient cultures, your ascension year, the year that you became king, is year one. And year two starts after the new year, the celebration of Rosh Hashanah, the, the first day. Right? Um, so uh, um, you could, in theory, become king the day before New Year's and die the day after New Year's and have been king for two years. All right? so, so the math here is, I always warn people, People start reading these and they start getting in the chronology. They're like, this says that this guy became king at this, but then this guy was this and it doesn't. They don't line up. And you're right, they don't, because we don't understand the system that they're using. If you really want a good book on this, you can read the chronology of the kings of Israel and Judah by Gershon Galil. All right? Um, all of you are really excited about that. Um, but but there's, there's a lot going on in these kings. So Ahaziah is a parenthesis. His brother, Jehoram, who will become king, actually counts the beginning of his reign from before Ahab died. So Ahaziah is completely omitted. He's not even really a part of the kings of Israel. Because it seems like he is a, a local king in Samaria, and as soon as he becomes king, he falls. And whatever happened to him, it's a mortal wound. Now, his upper chamber, that's his roof chamber, that, that's where you would go in the cool of the evening to, to kind of rest and chat with friends and things. And the whole point of a lattice or a net around it was, you know, so that the wind could still blow through and you'd still be cool, but nobody would accidentally fall off the roof if they were, I don't know, drunk. 
So this tells us a little bit about Ahaziah's character, I think, that he managed to fall through a lattice on his own roof. Um, so this, this is, he, he's clearly um, an interesting character. He gets so excited because he's king and he falls out this lattice. But then he sends an appeal. He wants to know whether he's going to recover and he sends his appeal to this god called Baal-zebub. Now this later becomes Belzebub, Yelzebub, um, which is synonymous with, with Satan and, and gets used in the New Testament. Um, but this is a weird word. And, and most, of your, most of the Bibles, especially if, you read a, um, if you're reading a Bible that's got like a, a, a lot of notes in it, it'll probably say something like, Baalzebub means Lord of the Flies, um, which is an interesting phrase, um, but doesn't make a whole lot of sense in the story. Now remember the duh thing that I did earlier? Did you guys, if you forgot already... Clearly not paying attention. Uh, but uh, the, the Dizza thing, uh, recently there, there's a whole cache of, of ancient documents that's found at this place called uh, Ugarit, or Ugarit, depending on whether you're British or English, American, um, how you pronounce it. Uh, but in this cache, there is a, there's a, a lot of use of languages similar to Hebrew. And one of the curious things that happens in, in here is there is a tablet, that ta- it's, a, it's a curse um, and one of the curses is that it, it talks in these parallels of fire, which is Ashi, um, and, um, and flame, which is pronounced Debeb, uh, or Deboob. Um, Deboob. Um, it is very likely that this Zebub is actually a transliteration of Debob, or flame. Now, if you read the rest of the story... Now it starts to make sense. All right? If he's appealing to this god of the flame, who's in Ekron, which is a Philistine city, it's about 35 miles south of Samaria. So Ahaziah, for some reason, feels he can't appeal to all the prophets of Baal and Asherah and everything around him, and he certainly can't appeal to the prophets of, of Yahweh. So he says, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send away to this foreign god in Ekron. I've heard that he will tell people whether they're going to survive from, uh, from an illness or something, and so I'm going to send away to him and find out whether I'm going to survive this. So, so, so he sends messengers. Um, the word messenger is melakah, uh, uh, Malak, um, and that is the same word as angel. So he sends a messenger, and the angel sends, a, and then the angel of the Lord appears to Elijah. There's a lot of linguistic playing that's going on there, and tells him to tell him, "Are there no gods in Israel? What is wrong with you, Ahaziah? Ahaziah is a grown man. Ahaziah lived through." The, 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 the trial between Baal and Elijah and Yahweh in 1 Kings 17. He knows who this guy is. He knows who Elijah is. When the messengers who don't know who Elijah is describe him, which I love the description, because what was he like? Ah, he was dressed in hair and he had a belt of leather. Ah, it was Elijah. How distinct was Elijah's clothes? Then all you have to do is describe him. It's like, oh, he was wearing a purple leisure suit. Oh, it was Eric in the 80s. Yeah. You know, it's like, it just this immediate, this immediate recognition. He knows who he is and he knows the message he is. So he knows who he, who he was, but he's sending off to this God of flame to discern. Now, uh, understand how ancient 
oracles would work. Different ancient oracles had different things. Sometimes you cut an animal open, you examined its spleen, and that gave you an answer. Sometimes you, you lit something on fire, and depending on what color it changed, it gave you the answer. And that's probably what this Baal Debob or Baal Zebub, uh, that's probably what his cult did. They, they did some kind of thing with the fire. They put something in the fire, and it went a different color, and that told you whether you were going to live or die. You know, it was some kind of ancient oracle. We don't know. We have no reference to this god other than these very vague linguistic things. And Ahaziah wants a sign from the god of fire, from the god of flame, the lord of flame. And boy, is he going to get it. Because then he sends his captain of 50 men. They go up to Elijah, who's sitting on top of a hill. This is one of those. This is one of the stories I remember earliest in my childhood, hearing my dad talk about telling stories. He used to tell us Bible stories when we went to bed. It's probably part of the reason our brains are so messed up. Me and my sisters. Everybody else got fairy tales. We got Elijah. Um, but Elijah's sitting on top of this hill. Elijah's always on top of a hill. He's always hanging out on top of a hill. And, a, and a, he's sitting on a hill, and the captain comes up to him, and probably this captain of 50 men, he's got chariots. That's usually what these captains were. They were commanders of chariots. And so they say to Elijah, come down. All right, and three times this happens. He says, O man of God, the king says, come down. This is in verse 9. The king says, come down. Uh, this, this, is, uh, this is Debar, the word. The king's word is, come down. So he commands, the king is trying to command the prophet of God. Which he has to know he can't do. And Elijah says, if I am a man of God, and he calls down fire, and fire burns up the captain and his 50. Because what was Ahaziah looking for? He's looking for a message from the God of flame. Here's a message. If I am the man of God, you didn't need to send messengers. The fire is here. So then he sends a second guy, and this second guy says something different. He says, uh, he says to him, um, he says, uh, O man of God, this is the king's order. The king speaks directly to you and says, come down quickly. If I am a man of God... Now, I will say this for Ahab. As messy as Ahab was, Elijah didn't have to talk twice to him. But for some reason, Ahaziah, he's not getting the message. And so he sends the third captain, my favorite guy in the whole story. Because the third guy knows what's going on. I mean, come on, seriously. It's like the, the second guy should have been able to figure this out. We're wondering why Ahab's armies lose battles. There we go. He comes in and he says, and he falls down and he says to him, he says, O man of God. So again, same phrase, O man of God. All three of them say, O man of God. But look at what he says. He doesn't say anything about the king. He says, if my life and the life of these men is precious to you. And precious means has weight, has value, has substance. He says, if life matters to you, would you please come with me? Now understand what he's saying when he makes that statement. The captain is saying, your life has value to me, so I will protect you. 
does my life have value to you? This captain is swearing his allegiance that nothing will happen to Elijah when he goes to Ahaziah. He is, he is putting his devotion, he is swearing his allegiance to the man of God over the king of Israel. And that's why the angel says to him, you can go down with him. Look at the phrase, the angel of the Lord says, go down with him, do not be afraid of him. This captain, he swears an allegiance. The other two have an allegiance to Ahaziah. The king says, come down. The king commands, come down quickly. This guy says, does my life have value to you? To me, to you, my li- your life has value to me. And they enter into a covenant relationship that this captain and his 50 will protect Elijah if Ahaziah tries to do anything. And so he goes down and Elijah speaks again. Elijah's message does not change. He says the same thing when he's standing in front of the king that he said to the messengers of the king. Let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. He's not going to be coward. He's not going to change his message. At this point, if you're Elijah, why on earth would you ever change your message? What he's been through, he knows that when God tells him to say something, he's just going to say it. So he tells Ahaziah, look, you decided that there is no God in Israel. You chose to ignore everything you have to know about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, how he's revealed himself. You have chosen to bypass me and instead go after some Philistine God who's going to give you some kind of mysterious omen. You clearly don't have the qualifications to be the king of Israel. You clearly don't understand because even your dad, who was a wicked uh, jellyfish with a crown, knew that when you needed an advice from God, you went and found Elijah. You're done. You're toast. You shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up. You shall surely die. Why is it so difficult for Ahaziah to yield to the instruction, the direction of the God who has been revealing Himself throughout the reign of his father Ahab. What what is wrong with this guy that he is incapable of understanding that Elijah has power and authority that's outside of his bounds? His father has threatened to kill him and it didn't work. His mother has threatened to kill him and it didn't work. His father threatened to kill him again and it didn't work. Ahaziah goes, well, now I'll try and see how it goes. I think that Ahaziah represents uh, something that is, is worth consideration in our world. Ahaziah represents a, a mindset or an idea or a concept Um, that religion is a tool in the hands of the powerful. Ahaziah is looking for a religion, to a, a, a oracle to tell him what he wants to know because he knows that in the ancient world, if you want to get an oracle to tell you what you want him to know, you just pay the priests enough and mysteriously the oracle will tell you exactly what you need to know. And it will always tell you, um, you know, always in vague terms, you know. It's like a horoscope. You know, today you will meet people. You know, oh, that's profound. Yeah, I mean, I, I read this as like, oh, Leos should stay away from everybody. Well, I already knew that. 
I already knew, you know, dogs are cooler than people. I already knew that one. Uh, you know, or fortune cookies. Don't you love a fortune cookie? All right, fortune cookies are so awesome. You're, you're, uh, I actually got, <laughs> I got a fortune cookie one time. It said, your lucky number is B. <laughs> Even the fortune cookies want me to do algebra. Um, you know, this, this, whole, this whole idea, some of you got that joke, um, this, this whole idea of, you know, the religion just exists to tell him what he needs to know. And isn't, hasn't that been happening in this world as we've studied this? I mean, uh, when Ahab uh, asked Jehoshaphat to join him in alliance against the Arameans, Jehoshaphat says, do you have any, do you have any priests? Do you have any prophets? And, Jeho- and Ahab goes, oh yeah, I got prophets. And he brings in all these prophets, and they're all coming. Yeah, go down, go down. We talked about this last week. And then Jehoshaphat says, do you have any prophets that's going to tell me the truth? Oh, yeah, I do. But religion is just something that you use to manipulate it, something you, 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 you kind of, it gives you a false sense of backing. It's, he's, Ahaziah represents this mindset that says, just find the religion that tells me what I want to know. So I'm going to send off to this faraway God because this faraway God, if I pay him enough, he'll tell me that I'm going to recover and everything will be great. Now, why does he want somebody to tell him that he's going to recover? Because for the honest reason that if if everybody knows he's going to die, knowing what we know about these kings who are knocking each other off like it's a national pastime, do you want to admit that you're, you're mortally wounded and not going to survive? He'll find himself smothered. He'll be gone. So he tries to get some kind of leverage. He tries to get so he sends these messengers to a faraway god that every oh this faraway god has heard of Ahaziah. He's so cool and he's going to recover. And Elijah shortcuts the whole thing, blows up his whole plan. You ever find that um, we live in a world where if people are religious, it's only a religion of either their own comfort or giving them the answers to the, the answers they want to the questions that are being asked. That's who Ahaziah is. Well, I don't, I don't like it when, when church, you know, I go to church and they make me uncomfortable talking about things that, that I think should be a certain way and they're, and they're saying the Bible says it should be another way, so I'm going to go find a church that just won't talk about those things. Because that way, you know, that way I can, I can be more fully a Christian if I don't have to deal with that part of Christianity. We, 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 we always kind of try to come up with a, a way that, that it can fit. Christianity can fit, and people, people want that. They want, they want something that can be uh, conformed to what it is that they want to do. I mean, people are always looking for a sign. Isn't it amazing that people are always looking for a sign, always find exactly the sign they were looking for? Like, like, like you know, I wasn't, sure, I wasn't sure about this, but then I talked to a psychic, and the psychic told me I made a good decision. I had people say, I was like, well, a psychic told me this was the right choice. Did you ask the psychic if you'd like to do something? I mean, I, not, you know, I mean, there's some weird stuff out there in the world. I'm not saying that no psychic has some kind of <clears throat> demonic power. But, um, but, the, but when you, you look at this situation and you go, well, you know, they told me what, I, or, or a life coach, you know. They're, they're rerunning that Pinocchio, Geico. Have you guys seen that Pinocchio makes a bad, 
a motivational speaker, you have potential, and you have potential, right? But you go, I mean, have you ever, I mean, you ever heard of a life coach going, no, dude, you're a loser, man. You, you should just give up on this whole idea and get a job somewhere making minimum wage because you are never going to be a millionaire. You're undisciplined, you're unruly, you're sloppy. No way. No life coach ever says that. All life coaches, you can do it. You can do it. You're good enough. All right. You can. I, I make a terrible life coach. I just do. All right? I am not the one you come to for positive motivation. Negative motivation, you can get it from me all day long. You could have done better at that. And it never starts with, and my poor daughter, like, I mean, she, she, like, in junior high, she was so concerned, you know, that she would get a B because dad would say, well, you could have gotten an A. You're smarter than everybody else in the school. Um, that's like, I mean, backhanded. I'm, like, complimenting. She's like, I got a B. He can't see it. Delete the app off his phone. And kind of getting used to this idea that it's okay, you know, we, it's, you know, do the best that you can with what you are. I have to learn to be more positive. But I'm infamous for negative motivation. I'm infamous for it could be better. That was all right. You know, I mean, people hate to hear that from me. They're like, they want to hear me. I had a kid, and I taught a kid, and we were doing rolls in my class at the YMCA. And every time he rolled, he would get up and he'd go, was that a perfect roll? No. <laughs> the poor kid. I must have been scarring him for life. But it's like, I can't call something perfect that wasn't perfect. I was like, this is, this is just who I am. They're like, you're a glass half empty person, aren't you? I was like, no, I'm gla- the glass is chipped, and you might want to check your water for mercury. <laughs> that, that's kind of how I am. I mean, this is, this is just my personality. This is who I am. It's like, you know what you should do? You should, get in a, in, you should find a vocation where you have to talk to people every, day, every Sunday. That'd be great. But Ahaziah has a culture, is, is from this school of thought where you just find the religion that fits what you want to hear because religion is just about an expedient, it's just about a control, it's just about manipulation. It's just about hearing the words that you want to hear um, to stabilize you. It's all about him. And if there is one thing that is true about Elijah, Elijah never tells people what they want to hear, he tells them what they need to hear. He confronts Ahab over Naboth's vineyard. He tells him what he needs to hear. He confronts Ahab over his adultery, or his idolatry, and his paganism. And he doesn't tell him what he wants to hear. He doesn't say to Ahab, well, Ahab, you know, you're doing pretty good. Let's, let's focus on your strengths. You know, I mean, it, your, your choice in women is questionable. Your choice in religion is iffy. But you snappy dresser. Elijah's job is to tell it how it is. And while we can't define ourselves in our journey as Christians about constantly going, well, you know, you could, you know we don't want to be browbeating each other all the time, but the, we have to remember that the purpose of the Scriptures is often to illuminate to us as sinners how it really is. And that we aspire to be better, to be more like Christ. Not because, not because it's convenient to us, not because it fits in the... But, but because that's who we are called to be. Ahaziah wasn't ready to actually hear from God. He sent messengers to another God so he didn't have to hear from God. His religion just served a purpose of boosting himself up. That's all he was interested in. He sends to another God so he doesn't have to hear from the God. Can I just offer you just this, this one bit of encouragement? 
which coming from me, you know this is going to be weird. When you engage with a Christian author or scripture or sermon or something like that, and your first response is, yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Make sure you check that you were thinking it because what you were thinking was in conformity with the Word of God, not because what you were thinking is in conformity with what you want. Now, I'm a pastor's kid. I grew up in a, in a, in a church with some knock-down, drag-out business meetings where everybody believed that they were the voice of God. And when I say that I grew up in knockdown, drag-out business meetings, you need to understand I'm talking about business meetings that were virtually on the edge of fisticuffs. People standing up and yelling at each other, Jesus wants us to buy toilet paper from the wholesale place. <laughs> I, I, I wish I were exaggerating, but I'm not. It wasn't actually about toilet paper, it was about something else, but... I mean, we sat in, I sat in business meetings as a kid because my parents wouldn't let me out of their sight, so I had to sit in business meetings unless I really suddenly decided I had to go to the bathroom and wiggled enough. Um, and then my mother would stand outside the door and make sure I didn't waste time in the bathroom. Um, I don't know why they wanted us to be in the business meetings, but they did. Eventually, they decided it was a bad idea to have a bunch of kids in a business meeting and start letting us go outside. I wonder if I caused that. Now I'm going to have to check. Anyway, um, so, so the, but we would sit in these business meetings and people yell and scream. I mean, I sat in a, I, I, was, I was in the church building when my grandfather and my father almost went to blows over something. I mean, my grandfather followed my dad into his office yelling at him over something. My dad was the pastor. My grandfather w- was just a member of the church. And everybody thinks they're right. Right? I mean, in those situations, we, we never have this problem. And I pray to the Lord that we always do things well and communicate well so we never have this issue. But do we or do we not encounter contrary voices that all say this is what Christ wants, this is what God wants. This is, this is, this is the, the scripture, this is, what, this is where we should be. How do we know which one is the voice of God? And that's the question we as Christians we have to ask. Because while we don't deal with the extremes of Ahaziah, all right, where, where he's just chasing, openly chasing against a false god, a god of flame that God has to burn up a hundred people in order to make his point, we still live in a world where every Christian authority says this is what God wants you to do. So how do we discern? Well, the number one test of discernment is always this. What are the clear statements of Scripture? I bring this up all the time. People probably get bored of it, but what are the clear statements of Scripture? Um, And if there's a clear statement of Scripture, especially if it's command, that's the way it is. You say, well, is there a way to interpret the command in such a way that it fits with my life? If you have to ask that question. You have to ask whether a commandment can be nuanced to fit with your lifestyle. Whether what you're doing is sin or not, you should probably... It's like, it's like, what does God mean by honor your mother and father? You know, kids are always nuanced in that one, right? They're always trying to smooth that one out. But for some reason, 
the have no other gods before me one, we're okay with nuance in that one a little bit. We're okay with the we're okay with the very direct thou shalt not murder. We're good with that one. The steel one, especially if it's the IRS, we can bend that one a little bit. If we have to nuance a command of God, we need to check and make sure what we're doing. Secondly, there, there's always clear commands of Scripture. A clear command of Scripture is a clear command of Scripture. It does not change. Then there are principles in Scripture that aren't necessarily commanded, but rather are indicated. And we have to be aware that there are principles in Scripture. Uh, one of the things we talked about last year, we had a, an elders workshop, and, and Ray was teaching, and there's this list of things um, in the, the pastoral epistles about the characteristic of an elder. And one of the things that Ray emphasized over and over and over again is not, that this is not an exhaustive list, but rather it's an explanation of principles and character traits and identifiers. It's, it's so so you, you, you read a line like husband of one wife, and, and somebody says, well, what does that mean? The principle of faithfulness to your spouse is really what we're getting at. That's what the scriptures has to say. Not necessarily it's like, you know, well, what does it mean to husband? What does it mean to be wife? What does it mean to this? And we, we start breaking on all the details. You know, when the scriptures say rule your house well, everybody gets in. Well, it that, how many kids does have to rebel before I don't run my house well? Right? And we ask that question. And we kind of get in, and, but it's more the principle. It's the principle. It's, the, it's the, the character traits. And it's not just for elders. It's for all leaders in the church. You know, it, it has to be, there's a principle there. You know, there's a principle in Scripture. There's a line about women should always worship, pray with their heads covered. And some churches take that literally, and all the women walk around with doilies on their heads. Right? Uh, or, or big hats. It's always one of the two. It's never, it's never halfway between. It's either doilies or big hats. Um, that should be a t-shirt. Doily, are you a doily or a big hat church? Um, but the... Um, but when you understand that the actual principle of that text is that there is a marriage relationship between husband and wife and there's mutual submission and love and relationships that go on in there. And, and someone, whether it's a woman or a man, who is violating that submission, how well can they worship when they are violating the single first command of Scripture, which was the union of husband and wife? So there's principles. So there's clear commands, and there's principles, and then there's the leading of the Holy Spirit. Most of the people that have an opinion about what God wants you to do, a version of religion that doesn't, it's because the Holy Spirit led me. The Holy Spirit never speaks in conflict with the clear commands and the principles of Scripture. And we have to be aware of that. Because if we cut ourselves loose from the authority of the Lord... Is there no God in Israel that you had to appeal to Baal Zebub of Ekron? Why would you go and look for another authority? Because you know that the authority that's in front of you is going to tell you something you don't want to hear. And so people appeal, well, the Holy Spirit led me to do this thing. Well, here's all the scriptures that say that you shouldn't do that thing. Yeah, but the Spirit. I think I told you guys this. I, I'm, I'm almost done. Um, I used to go to camp meetings. Um, camp meeting is a very southern thing. Jed's laughing because he knows what I'm talking about. Camp meetings are where even Baptists get crazy. 
We used to go to this camp meeting where everybody threw their, their pocket handkerchiefs in the air for some ludicrous reason. And I still, I, I wish I knew. I mean, I get, it's Jed's waving. I got no problem with them waving their handkerchiefs. Oh, Jesus. Oh, they, they were actually literally taking their pocket squares and throwing them in the air like they were graduating from some very small college. I don't know what was going on. It's just, and all the Holy Spirit's moving. I was like, at no point does the scripture say the Holy Spirit's, and then when I move you, throw your pocket square in the air. You know, it's like, it's just, it's one of those things. And says, so, well, the Spirit's moving. I always get caught, I always get a little cranky when somebody says that the Spirit is moving and what they're calling people to do is something that's extra biblical. We, we have to be careful about that. Now, we live in a world where everybody and their brother within the Christian sphere has got an opinion how things should be done. But what are the clear commands of Scripture? What are the principles of Scripture? And what is the Holy Spirit saying? You know, if Ahaziah had had any respect whatsoever for Elijah and had simply gone to Elijah, then he would have spared, number one, a hundred people's lives. He would have spared himself the humiliation of this whole situation. But ultimately, he was more willing to listen to a foreign god who would tell him what he wanted to hear for his convenience than to listen to the voice of God, the proven man of God, who was right in his backyard. And in our world, so much of what is called Christianity is more willing to listen to the voice of what will tell us what we want to hear than the clear commands of Scripture, the principles of the Scriptures, and the Holy Spirit. So we have to be discerning as followers of Christ. We have to be discerning. You say, does this mean I have to study the Bible? Yes. Does this mean I have to know what a biblical principle is? Yes. Does this mean I have to listen to the Holy Spirit? Yes. It does. Otherwise, we wind up seeking out the knowledge of foreign gods rather than the God who lives in Israel. And so much of Christianity... And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. So much of what passes for Christianity and Christendom is idolatry with Jesus' name slapped on it. And we have to be careful. We have to be discerning. We have to be wise. I'd much rather hang out with the dude in the hair jacket and the funky leather belt who can call down fire because he's a man of God than hang out with the crippled king who wants a God who tells him what he wants to hear. Send me the weirdo, man, if it's the voice of God. If it's in conformity with Scripture. And by the way, nothing Elijah says to Ahaziah is out of keeping with what the Scriptures say is required of a king. What he does is a violation of the kingship and he sacrifices his role as king because of what he did. Ahab did the, same, did the same thing. Elijah told him that. Jehoram will do the same thing. And Elijah's successor, Elisha, who we'll meet next week, does the same thing with him. Their message is always consistent. Their calling is always the same. Do you join me in a word of prayer? Father, help us to hear from you. To come to your word, to read it simply, directly as you have given it to us to understand the context to understand the situation to understand what's happening 
but Lord, to hear your voice. Lord, to hear your word, to be guided by your truth. And Father, we do, I I pray often for those who call themselves Christians but are following false gods. And Lord, we know that's not about how we dress or act or the music we play, but it's, it's, it's about who we're worshiping, whose message we're hearing. who we're obeying. Lord, may those who know You follow You. Lord, purify our hearts and our minds that we might be able to see through the, um, the chaos of a world filled with people saying they speak for You that we might hear Your voice. We pray all of this through Jesus Christ our Lord by Your Holy Spirit we pray.